First Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory for men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship and how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devotely and uprightly and blameless we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so, Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, um, Lord, that you would just give us insight to this passage, that we would walk closer with you. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. So as I got the call last night, I was sort of, it was, I was, I was not pleased with this. First off, I don't like preaching topically. I, 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 I just take a passage and I, we roll through books of the Bible. Um, I remember, I've had, I remember Mother's Day two years ago. It was the day after Bin Laden was killed and we happened to be in a passage that addressed it. So it was one of the, I'm like, this is a great Mother's Day message, but this is what we're going with because Gunner doesn't do topics. We do this, whatever the Bible says. And so to, last night I was like, oh man. I can't adjust the passage because we've lined up a couple people with a vacation coming up here in July. And I'm like, I don't want to adjust things. And as I read over the passage in Romans, because I did sort of, I'm like, oh, this is too difficult. I was taught with weapons that you never play with them. You take them seriously. And the Bible's the same way. And Romans in particular is a book that you don't want to just sort of haphazardly sort of tackle it. And so I started praying last night in desperation of most things like, Lord, give me something. I smell like barbecue and I just want to go to bed right now. And now I've got to like cram. And so I started praying and thinking about Mother's Day. And, and, and Mother's Day is, is one of these holidays that, well, first, like, I don't like holidays. It's like a total pagan holiday. If we're going to be totally truthful and follow the history, it goes back to worshiping idols of, of fertility gods and it was only in recent years that we sort of stole it and changed it and i'm all for honoring moms but mother's day for me was never one of these holidays i look forward to i i, I didn't come from your traditional family i was raised in a very abusive home at 12 really 11 years old i had to testify against my biological mom in court 
so that the court would grant my dad custody. And so um, Mother's Day always kind of rolled around. It was like, oh, I'm not going to find flies. What am I going to do? I'll just do, I'll go surfing and I'll do something, you know? And then as I entered into high school, I sort of was uh, kind of adopted by a couple ladies. Now in my life, I really view that I have three moms. There's my my mom, who I often, when I speak of my mom, my mom that I refer to is actually my ex-stepmother-in-law, who is my mom and the grandchildren to my kids, and I love her greatly, and she really is a mother to me. There's my best friend's mom, who also cracked the whip on me in high school because I was always over at their house. Maybe God just realized that I was such a, a pill that I needed more moms like putting their thumbs on me to keep me under control. And then now, after being married for a number of years, like Anna's mother really has become like a mom to me. And, uh, and I, I realized that mothering doesn't always follow DNA route. It doesn't always follow blood. And, and uh, this is one of those holidays that my understanding of Mother's Day has become more sensitive when Anna and I first got married, after a couple of years, then she conceived, and we were ex- excited for a child, and we lost that child, and and uh, it was painful, and it seemed like looking back now, it seemed like a really short window, like especially like in hindsight, it was a short window, but there was about two years. Anna could probably tell you down to the second when we found out Grace was coming, but during that window of not being able to, 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 to conceive, it, it was, the, the pain was horrible. And we were just kind of breaching the, the thought about what are we going to do? Are we going to consider adoption? Are we going to go down that road? What, what road? We were beginning to this, like we just need to come to terms with we're not ever having a kid. Like it's just not going to happen. So Either we can just be fine with that and be at peace, or we. Can. It was a really a trying time for us. And I'll never forget when I got the call. She's like, "I think I'm pregnant, but I'm not. Pre- I don't get pregnant, so I don't know what's going on." And I was like, I decided I was in Greek immersion class, and I decided to ride my bike from La Mesa to El Cajon in spandex of all things, too. So I'm like on my bike, and uh, I'm like, "You think you're pregnant? What?" And, and as soon as class ended, I like driving my bike through El Cajon, stop at Rite Aid to get a pregnancy test. And then I'm the guy, click, 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 click. And then you get a pregnancy test, like, you're on a bike ride? And you're just said, like, what? Like, don't judge me. Just give me those things and let me get out of here. But during that, there, during that window, I've come to see that this holiday is not just a sweet holiday. It's, it, it, it can come with pain. And, and I recognize that this holiday really is to look upward, up, upwards generationally. Like I ran this by Anna and she's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's normally to give thanks for your mom. Like the, the mother that you had, if she's still with you, to, to give thanks and to appreciate what, what God gave you that woman, whoever it was, whether it's blood or people adopted you, to, to help shape you and to mold you into the person that you are. And so to give thanks and to appreciate because... When you're the recipient of this sort of mothering, you have no idea what they go through. And I look back at my mom, my ex stepmother-in-law, who my ex step yeah, skeptimistic. I, you know, I I merge were <laughs> the lady who was my stepmom, who's my mom now, 
And I really start reflecting. She, she basically took me in. She was over 50 years old. And I was 12 from an extremely abusive situation. And let's just say I was a handful. And so I didn't appreciate it then. I thought she was my worst enemy back then. But now it's like, oh, man, why did you love me like that? Why did you, why did you invest in me? Like, why? Like, I appreciate it all the, much, all the more so. Like, I wish I could take back words I said to her, things I thought. And it's just foolish. And so... So last night as I'm thinking, like, where, where can I, where, what, what can I speak on that would apply to all of us? And the reason that I landed in Thessalonians is because it always jumps out at me that as Paul is he's talking to these believers in Thessalonica, he, he says the way he treated them was like a mother. He also says the way I treat, treated you was like a father. And so you see in his nature as a leader he looked to the mom and to the dad, and he said in each of these examples, he learned from them and how he dealt with his, the people. And so as we ease into this passage, the first chapter, just to sort of give us some background, Thessalonians is one of the more personal books in the Bible. Um, my Bible is actually messed up thanks to an inductive Bible study. I was in a parking lot waiting for Anna, I think. She was at a something many years ago. I'm like, oh, I'll sit here and do this. The first thing it says is, oh, mark all of the U's in, the Bible, in this letter to show the, the interaction. And so I started with my orange marker, started with U, highlight, orange, highlight, highlight, highlight. Then I got midway through. I'm like, I'm destroying this letter. Like, it's alternate orange because U is like every other word. And so we see that the author in the first verse of chapter one is that Paul, the apostle, wrote it with Silas or Silvanus, but it's Silas uh, and Timothy. So these three men who are the leaders who had this deep relationship with these people in Thessalonica, they write this letter. As we get down to verse six, the first thing he says is that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in as much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. And, and so the first thing from this letter, like as it relates to today, and I, I, just for us as believers, like I don't really care about Mother's Day. Like I, I'm all, like I, I, I don't care about the holiday. For us as Christians, w- one thing that I see here that's super important is, is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they write, they say, you know what? We followed after Christ. We lived for Christ. We walked after him. As we walked with him and demonstrated what it means to be a Christian, you saw us. And then you imitated us following Christ. And then as you imitated us, then your lives became an example and other people started following after you. The the thing that jumps out at me at this is, is when I first became a Christian and I was in the SEAL teams, I was kind of doing my thing. I was falling on my face with Christianity, making a mess out of things. And then I entered into that platoon where, where my friend Billy was there. Billy's been at SEAL Team 6 for many, many years now. And when I walked into that platoon and met Billy, I'm, I'm so thankful. And I'm, I'm allowed to use his name. He asked, because I, I, in, in this book I'm writing, he said it was okay to use his name. And... Uh, just for the record, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting soft in my old age for, you know, security clearance stuff. But so Billy was this guy who was a total warrior. Like he was, 
the best shot, the best warrior. Like amongst the warriors that I respected in the SEAL teams, they looked up to him. But, but he was also a Christian, which normally those two didn't really go hand in hand. And he was something that was called a missionary kid, which I had no idea that like I was going to be ending up to one, married to one of these people, these missionary kids. And he was like this anomaly, this sort of this freak of nature. He's like, yeah, I grew up in the mission field. I'm like, what, like eating bugs and stuff or like what? And, and he's like, no, no, I was in Germany. Like I, you know, I speak German. I know German. I, you know, and then he, then he got, he'd always get us distracted. He's like, yeah, because the CIA was always recruiting us. And I really thought hard about going to the CIA. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, CIA likes missionary kids? They're like, dude, they want us big time because we know cultures and they want to, to throw us in there as spies to, 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 to hear. And I'm like, all right, maybe being a missionary kid's pretty cool. Like, okay, you're not, you're not that goofy. And so then I'm like hanging out with him and, and he's, he's living out his faith in the midst of the SEAL culture. And it was so neat for me to see like oh this is how you you handle these sets of circumstances and 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 because i would go there and i would kind of keep my christianity and my seal life sort of compartmentalized and when i was in the seal world well my walking with christ would totally fall apart and then as i watched billy i began to to learn and to understand how i could live out my faith and the reason I bring this up is because in this section, in today's thing, and at our church, relationships are, are critical. So often churches do like, oh, come join us for six weeks so we can do discipleship 101, and you take six weeks and you'll know how to live as a Christian. That yeah, might be great. I mean, I'm not, not making it, I'm not knocking that. But, but what I see in the scriptures is, is people lived out their faith. People were with them as Jesus did stuff. When he, when he came away from what he was doing, the disciples said, why did you do that? You were teaching that. Explain this to me. And it was very much life on life sharing. And so we see this intimacy of this relationship. And as he moves down to chapter one, verse nine, we see that, that through their relationship, these believers in Thessalonica, they, they, they turned to God and they, they walked away from idolatry and the idols that they serve. And in the last verse of chapter one, it says, and you and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come, which I see Romans in that statement that, that we, well, I'm, oh, people ask Christians or Christianese. Oh, I'm saved. OK, well, I became a Christian. I started saying oh, I'm saved. Yeah. What am I saved from? I don't know, myself? Because like, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy right now. But then to start seeing that like our sin, our sin nature, God's wrath is due us. And in Christ, there's safety, there's security that we're protected from the wrath that is due us. And so here are these believers that Paul loved. They turned to God. They were waiting for Christ. They were longing for his coming because he is the one who rescues them from the wrath to come. And as we go into chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is, was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. There were all sorts of reasons for Paul and these guys to get discouraged from from reaching out and ministering to these people. 
see, this is great. I'm like, man, I can't believe it. I'm going to start like getting to the conclusion. We're almost out of time here, but we can do this. And as I'm looking at this, this drive of Paul, this, this desire to, to continue through all of the opposition, the beatings, the, the being stoned, not smoking, but with rocks, just to be clear in our culture, you have to, we're in California, where they tried to kill him, they beat him, they did all this stuff. Why would he keep going? He was driven by the gospel. And what is the gospel? First Corinthians 15, the first four verses, it, 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 he defines the gospel that according to the scriptures, Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that after hearing the gospel, you believed. And when you believed, you're sealed with the Spirit. That's being placed from Adam into Christ. And in the beginning of Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Or something close to that. So he recognizes that God is in the business of transforming lives. And he wanted nothing more than for the gospel to take root in people's lives. That they would walk with him. That they would, that they would grow with him. And he didn't care. He ultimately would give his life in pursuit of getting the gospel to people. This morning, on the way in here. Thinking about Mother's Day, Paul's drive this story. It's great because I can listen on the way today of all days to be crammed. Everybody's talking about Mother's Day. And there's a guy on uh, the radio at 7 a.m. on one radio, Christian radio station. I forget. He's at Calvary Chapel where the birds fly into every year. Um, San Juan Capistrano. And so he's, he's talking about Mother's Day. And he starts saying that, you know what? What I care about my kids He's like, you know, I don't care if they grow up to be doctors. I don't care if they grow up to be attorneys. He's like, if they don't go that route, they're going to have to figure out some way to take care of me when I get old. But, but really, I don't care about that. What I care about is that they, they come to know and to love Jesus. Because that's all that matters. Because if they're walking with the Lord, then God will guide them. And then all of the other stuff will work itself out. And, and Paul had this sort of drive, and we as parents, we as church members, it's, the, the church is broader than just parents. When I talked to Greg Harris, the guy who was supposed to speak today, last week, I, I needed to kind of, I'm like, well, the offer was made, I called him, and I said, listen, I need to make one thing sort of like clear. I'm like, I understand that you're at a homeschool seminar for the last two days, and I want to make sure that Sunday doesn't become homeschool seminar part three, because it's, he's like, no, 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 this is where the Bible's taught. This, that's separate from this. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, now, second thing is, not everybody's a mom in there. He's like, I get it. He's like, I always say that the church is a junkyard. And it was, when he starts talking, I'm like, this is great. I was going to let him share it, but I'm going to steal it because he's not here to claim it for his own. He said, no, I view the church as a junkyard, a bunch of parts laying around. And you got to you got to pick and choose. And there are people that come to church. They don't have moms and dads. And there are people in church who who maybe don't have kids or their kids are grown up. And then they become the part for that kid that, that we need moms and dads within the body of Christ to, to help 
raise one another. And I do, I don't know, Miss Pat's there. I, she's, she, she's just an angel. Um, sorry for calling her out. I'm, she, her cane's out of my reach. <laughs> she can't strike me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's neat seeing all of the little kids. And, there, and there's more, like Lloyd and Ruth and all of the late. Like, there's so many kids here that if you're a visitor, you'd be terribly confused because you're, hi, Grandma Ruth, hi, hi, Grandma Pat, hi, this. And it's like, you guys aren't connected. Like, but, but they've become grandmothers. And, and I, I love that in this church, that, that, that we're family. And every family has a crazy uncle. That's Larry. You know, that's, that's you know. I got him before he got me. All in love. But, but, but so our aim is to help each other in our, in our walk with Christ. And, and, and Paul says, listen, for our exhortation does not come from error, impurity, or by way of deceit. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak, not as pleasing to men, but, but God who examines our hearts. You, you, you know, this is, a, this is something that we can learn from. Like, here, here's Paul, the apostle, all of his pedigree. He, he understands that his, he needs to trust God. Like, like, God's entrusted him to this great task. And that's something that you can totally stress yourself out about. But he says, you know what? I, I do what God's called me to go. I, I lean upon him. And, and for those mothers who are in the trenches, I'm married to one. I, I, I like, like, I just wouldn't even see it. But like the anxiety that moms put on themselves. Like, what if the kid totally like does? Well, that's his fault. Like, we'll crack the whip. We'll do whatever, you know. We'll, but, but, but I've seen that moms put so much pressure. And I think there's a lesson here to the moms that are in the trenches. To, to keep your eyes on Christ. And, and he's given you your kid that's, you know, putting gray hair on your head. Because that kid's doing a work in your life and you're there that God's entrusted you and you just trust him for the final result. But but even in this, like it just in my attention, seeing that, that, that this is all weeks that I get a number of moms calling me saying, I just don't know what to do and I'm really stressed out and I'm just failing and I feel so guilty. Well, in Titus chapter two, verses three and five, uh, it, it's a great passage because what it says is older women and there's no conditions on the older women like, Oh, that you've done whatever. It says older women come upon the younger women. Help them to love their husbands. Man, that takes a lot of work sometimes because I'm one of them husbands. <laughs> like we're not always the easiest to love. Teach them to love their husbands. Teach, help them in the raising of their kids. Help them. And it's interesting. It says so that the word of God might not be blasphemed, which is a powerful statement. So that we as a family are there to help encourage each other and i love that our church really is like that this isn't something that i'm you feel like i'm beating anybody up on but paul leans upon christ verse five he says for we never came with flattering speech as you know nor with a pretext for greed god is witness nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others even those apostles of christ we might have asserted our authority here's paul paul was of the tribe of benjamin he was a Pharisee. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He studied under Gamaliel. He was on the fast track of Judaism. He had all sorts of authority. We as Christians 
when we do this whole like church thing, we don't make it up like week to week. We turn to the Bible and say, well, how, what are we supposed to do? What is church supposed to be? I don't know if it's 80%, 90%, but a huge portion of the biblical teaching came through Paul, like God inspired Paul to write the teaching on the church. They used others, of course, but, but a huge portion of the New Testament dealing with the church came through Paul. If anybody could have had a little arrogance or come in with an iron fist and said, I'm Paul and I'm this. But it's not how he came in. He said, I came in gently. I came in not with flattering speech. He's going to show us how he used his life. He said, I didn't exercise my apostolic authority over you. This is great humility. And where did he get this from? Christ, God, creator and sustainer of the world was so humble. And certainly this was an attribute that the people in Thessalonica were mimicking of Paul. That humility is probably one of the best, I mean, next to love, of course. But humility is one of these attributes of Christianity that's so critical in the Christian life as we follow Christ. I heard one guy say that the first sign of maturity within the Christian life is when you realize that the world goes beyond your own belly button, that that it's about others. It's not about yourself. It really is about others. And we see that Paul continues in verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond of affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. And I love the picture when he, when he describes the gentleness, the care. What does he say here? He says gentle, tender, tenderly. So tenderness, affection, not only the gospel, but our lives. Paul had invested himself. I'll never forget in seminary at our, at my seminary once a year, they would have like a two week sort of missions um, conference. You were required to attend. There'd be breakout sessions. And there was a lady, one of the breakout sessions that we went to was this lady from Spain. So of course we went to her because Anna grew up in Spain. And this was just the sweetest elderly lady. She'd been in Spain for like 30 or 40 years. And she was talking about her ministry and the relationships she had. And she said that after all the years, you know, she's like, it's been very hard sledding the gospel in Spain. When Anna grew up in Spain, they would, her neighbors, they would rather have like a child molester rapist rather than an evangelical Christian next door. Like they were outcast. It's hard, hard sledding in, in there. And she said, you know, when I first got there for a number of the early years, what we wanted, what we wanted to do was to, to do all of these events. We would kind of fake love so that we could witness to the people. And she's like, now that I'm at the end of my life, what I'm, what I'm real, not the end of my life, near after all these years of ministry, she's like, you know what? We don't love people to witness to them. We witness to people because we love them. And her whole point was, is that she had con- devoted her life. She she'd became true friends with the people and love developed. And because she actually had love for them, she truly wanted to get the gospel to them because she did love them. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing if we get this as Christians. 
I don't want to offend a used car salesman. I don't even know if we have any used car salesmen in here. But sometimes like people sharing the gospel, you want to do all of this stuff because there's the hook at the end. But no, we want to be in relationships. We want to, to build friendships. And then what happens when you're actually in relationships, you actually start caring about people. So we want to invest. So with that, I'm, I'm near the end here. When I, when I look at this, uh, when I look at this section of scripture, for all of us, there's a couple things that we can, relationships are critical. The first and most important relationship is our relationship with Christ. If you don't have that, all of your other relationships will be broken. And so we need him. We need to lean on him. We need to trust him. We need to, to go to him for help. And not all relationships follow DNA lines. After I'd finished whipping together this and you know, in the, the hour it took, Anna came down and she's like, I just talked to my mom. And my dad's given a great message. So you guys should all run down there and go catch it out. You know, he's talking about uh, Jacobed or Jacobed and Pharaoh's daughter, Moses's mother, biological mom and Pharaoh's daughter, that God used both of these women to be a mother to Moses. And Moses needed both of them to, to, to help him. I'm like, oh, why couldn't you have called her like two hours ago? I could have really developed that. But we have the opportunity to love people, to develop, to be uh, like mothers and fathers. We need each other in this life. We need Christ. We need him in our life. And, it, and it's all about relationships. Relationships are, I think, the most critical thing within Christianity. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, forget about Wednesday night. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for just your word, for your graciousness. Lord, we thank you for the moms in our life. And Lord, as we look at uh, this short passage that was written by, by Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy, Lord, in their relationship with the church in Thessalonica, Lord, we, um, we're reminded how important our relationships are with one another, Lord. Um, we pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to be um, just disciples of Christ that walk faithfully, Lord. Um, Father, we pray that you would give us people that we could look to as examples as we uh, walk with you. And Father, as we live out our lives to be co- cognitive, Lord, of the reality that others are looking to us for what the Christian life is about. And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that you would help us in this journey with you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Please.